0: Thank you so much for tuning in to the Defending Christianity podcast. I'm your host, Levi Dade, and in this podcast, we aim to talk about the evidence and reasons for why the Christian faith is true and why it is good. We do this with the hope to encourage the church to engage the culture around us and to be ready to give an answer for the hope that we have in Christ Jesus as 1 Peter 3.15 commands. Thank you so much for listening. God bless. Welcome back to the Defending Christianity podcast. I'm your host, Levi Dade, and here we talk about the reasons for the faith that we have in Christ, and we do this with the goal of being able to give a reason for the hope that we have in Christ Jesus with gentleness and respect. A biblical understanding of engaging the culture around us as Christians has huge implications for the posture that we should have when we engage those around us who don't see things the way that we quite do. It's no secret that our culture's hostility toward God, Christians, and the Bible has rapidly increased in the last 20 to 30 years. And this has caused confusion in the church and how it engages with the culture and with those who don't have a desire to live life how God has designed it to be lived. Consequently, many of us in the church don't know how to have a conversation with someone who has an aversion towards God. And thus, some of us just don't engage at all. And instead, we keep ourselves surrounded by those who see life as we do. Now this in itself is not a bad thing, but, it, but how can we uh, live out the Great Commission and how can we preach Christ crucified to the lost if we don't engage those um, and put ourselves in the places where we can have these conversations? I'm not sure if we can, I'm not sure if, we can if we don't have um, a ways to shift our approach in a way that enables us to have these conversations at all. But luckily for us, there's been a game changer of a book written on the topic of cultural engagement to help us and and encourage us as the church on how to engage and why it's biblical to do so. The title of this book is Cultural Intelligence Living for God in a Diverse Pluralistic World, and it was written by Dr. Daryl Bach, who happens to be our guest today. If you listened to our last season, you should be familiar with Dr. Bach because he was on the show last year. In fact, he was our first guest on this podcast. We're very thankful for him. Uh, He is the Executive Director of Cultural Engagement at the Hendricks Center for Leadership and Senior Research Professor of New Testament Studies at Dallas Theological Seminary, and he's the author of more than 40 books and is widely sought out by various media outlets for his expertise. So we're very thankful to talk about this book and what it can mean for the church. So with that being said, let's get into our discussion with Dr. Bach. Dr. Bach, thank you so much for being on the show. How are you?
1: I'm doing great, Levi. Good to see you again.
0: Your expertise and and what you've done throughout your career has been really on New Testament studies and historical Jesus. And this one's kind of out of the ball field on that, and it goes kind of a shift into the cultural engagement area. Uh, What was the impetus on on the shift there?
1: Well, I've actually been involved in writing in this area for some time. Uh, I did a book. It was a response to the Da Vinci Code uh, back when it came out. That kind of started me down this track, and I was doing a lot of media anyway in the historical Jesus area. Uh, and then uh, I, when I was president of the Evangelical Theological Society, my presidential address was on what I called purpose-driven theology, and I was trying to model how academics should handle their responsibilities in a shifting culture that was becoming more pluralistic. And what I didn't realize at the time, because I wasn't at my current position at the Hendricks Center at the time, was I was actually writing a job description for myself, uh, which became what I ended up doing at the Hendricks Center. And um, the the hope was to to model, um, not just the handling of the text in its historical context, which is generally what New Testament professors do, but to think through what that application looks like in the current time, and to really deliver on that side of that equation. And so um, so this book has been probably five, six years in the making. Uh, it is a sequel to a book I wrote before the last presidential election entitled, How Would Jesus Vote?, which is an attempt to help people think through how to how to wrestle with the political dimension of their Christian faith. Yeah and escape the tendency simply to be captured by the politics, but to actually wrestle from a Christian point of view about how to think about that space. And this is the follow-up to that. And I think if I had it to do over again, I'd write this book first and then write the other one second. But um, alas, that isn't the way it happened.
0: Well, it's really a great book and I really appreciate it. So. It's titled cultural intelligence. What, what do you mean by cultural intelligence? What's the big idea behind the book?
1: Well, the first uh, element of culture is actually I make a point in the first chapter that culture is a misnomer that to think about culture as being a singular thing actually obscures the fact that we're actually made up of many cultures that rub against each other. I use the analogy of plate tectonics where um, you know you have continental plates that rub against each other, they build pressure. When they release pressure, you get an earthquake. And so the ability to understand the variety of cultures that are around us, and that um, that's part of getting to know people is the context that they come out of that kind of thing. Uh, that's the first part. So that's the cultural part, being able to read culture, understand it, understand both its positives and its negatives. Uh, not just negative, and, and then uh, recognize that there are different pockets of culture in different locations. All of that leads and moves into the idea of having intelligence about it, because in order to understand what's going on around you, you need to be able to read what's going on around you and its structure and its, in some cases, its complexity. Um, and so this was a book to try and discuss how to view culture, how to approach culture from a biblical point of view, Then how to engage with culture, how to engage with someone whose starting points are very different than your own, uh, how to have those kinds of conversations, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And then the last part of the book is about how to engage the Bible as a result, observing that most seminarians are taught to go in, in one direction. You go from the Bible to life. And I'm making the case in the last chapter of most people read their Bible in the reverse direction. They have a situation in life they're reading the bible to see how the bible speaks to where they are how do you make that move and so i'm arguing for the ability to switch hit by christian leaders uh, in order to deal with those realities which are often which which emerge out of a fallen world emerge oftentimes out of dysfunction and so how do you deal with the reality that's in front of you as opposed to the ideal that sometimes we construct in our minds
0: mm, so so you're trying to help people see that this isn't just one culture that we live in and um, these, I guess you can call them, progressive ideologies aren't just trying to influence the culture that we live in. Rather, that's a whole different culture, and the church itself is a culture, so so to speak. And so we have to get out of our culture into that one, and to do so requires us to uh, see things a little bit differently than we have in the past.
1: And, and in some cases, it may be that the analysis of a of a different culture isn't simply asking the question right or wrong.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's also asking the question. Why would someone go there? What what is the attraction that draws someone in that direction? What is it trying to deal with? What does it have its finger on as a problem, etc.? And I might not, I, I may or may not agree with their description of the problem. I may or may not agree with their prescription to the problem. But to understand why they're in that space, and to have some um, empathy and understanding with why a person might be in that location is part of developing cultural intelligence because it's one thing to understand someone. It's another thing to agree with them.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And sometimes people mix those two up. Yeah. And when you mix those two up, you you actually probably circumvent your ability to relate to somebody. If you're, if you move too fast. Mm-hmm.
0: I think oftentimes people think, I think, um, you know, to understand somebody, we have to actually sit down and listen to them first of all. And I think the church can do a little bit better about that. But many times I think evangelists' only goal is to tell someone the gospel and then tell them that they need to change their lives without actually interacting with the person and, like I said, listening to them. How do we balance the preaching of the gospel with interacting with people in in the culture in a loving way? Well,
1: I tell people that when you're getting to know someone who's coming from a different background than you are, you need to get what I call a spiritual GPS reading on them, which means you really need to do some serious listening. Mm -hmm. Um, Put your doctrinal meter on mute. I didn't say turn it off, okay, but put it on mute. Uh, Don't let your reaction that's going on in your head be the first thing you spout back at them, but try and probe for why they are where they are, what their values are, what their influences are, what they're interested in, what drives them, those kinds of questions. Get to know them, and I mean sincerely get to know them. And then in the midst of you giving them the space to tell their story and the respect that that actually communicates, you open the door down the road to be able to draw on whatever it is you're hearing that you may want to respond with. and you're building a communication of respect for them that lays that groundwork in a healthy kind of way. So you get this spiritual GPS on them. You get a reading for what's influencing them, where it's coming from. I had a, I had a um, grandmother-in-law who grew up in a very conservative Baptist church environment, but her father was very much hypocritical in what his attendance in church was and what his life was like that turned her off to the church. Hmm. That's actually very important for me to know if I'm going to have a conversation with her. Yeah, And so um, so the spiritual GPS reading is an attempt to try and really understand where this person is coming from uh, as I'm getting ready to engage them on substantive matters.
0: Yeah, that's very interesting. And you actually do this on, on the table podcast that you and the Hendricks Center uh, host evolves around tying issues of God and culture. In fact, that's in your your introduction that, that you say there. How does what you do there for the podcast tie into the book?
1: Well, what we're trying to do is reflect a model of how to actually engage and how to think about engagement, the kinds of questions that you ask, the way in which you uh, probe into an area. Now, our, our show is restricted in one sense because we're basically interviewing other Christians who, for the most part, share the worldview that we have. So we're not We're not moving across the divide, if you will, in in those shows where we can model how to have a conversation with someone coming from a very different place. Mm -hmm. But the approach that we take in um, asking questions, reflecting on what it is that we're hearing, reflecting what is going on within a view, that kind of thing, uh, that's very much in, in evidence. When we move into the area of the arts, for example, and movies and that kind of thing. And we're talking about you know how you analyze a piece of art that's coming from a completely different space. Um, then we're kind of moving in that direction, uh, but it really is it it really is involved in in one core question, and that is how do I really get to know somebody? Mm-hmm. And I really get to know somebody by um, interacting with them at a very personal level, and and listening to their story. Mm-hmm.
0: I think closely tied to that is our ability to love others like with God's love as first John tells us to do. And so that love itself is going to give us the desire to know somebody so that we can um, better reflect the love of God to them. Um,
1: Yeah. And it also is going to give you a little map of what the playing field actually is in the conversation. And that's, that's actually what you're going for. You're trying Mm -hmm. to understand as a person talks to you, what values are they signaling that could be connections and bridges to the gospel.
0: Mm-hmm. You
1: know, we tend to listen to people for where we agree or don't agree with them. And we're really looking for the stuff we don't agree with them so we can respond to them.
0: Mm-hmm. But
1: you're really looking for what is a value that they have that that the gospel speaks into and that I can move towards them on with the gospel because they share a commitment that I might also have, that kind of thing. Yeah. It may be, it may be it may or may not be well developed on their part, but if it's signaled as being something that they're concerned about, man, that's a great place to begin to have a a substantive conversation.
0: I agree. And I think a good principle in this is that if they share something in their past that's really emotional, that they're sensitive to, that's gonna change our tone as well to be more sensitive in the way that we respond. Whereas if you have like a more intellectual, boundary only then you might not be as sensitive as somebody who had like a trauma or a hurt in the past right right yeah i
1: i, I often uh, say people when you're doing this gps work that i'm talking about getting a gps for you on someone you're really interested in a conversation you're not interested in a debate mm-hmm.
0: yeah so so you you talk a lot about culture wars can you explain what what uh, the culture wars are and, and how they can be harmful to the gospel
1: Well, I I think that what's happened with the culture war is we've risked making people the enemy, and the people that we've risked making the enemy are actually the people who are a goal in the Great Commission. Mm. Great Commission is to go into the world and make disciples. It doesn't say go into the church and make disciples. Uh, And you're inviting people into a space to be connected with God so that they're able to live in a way that without that connection to God, they aren't able to live. So... Mm. You aren't trying to make them Christians and then bring them into the church. Okay. You bring them into the church and you have them embrace the gospel so they can be God can make them into the people he designed them to be. So so when we get things out of order, we create a problem. And when we view it as a as a clash that's not a spiritual battle, but actually we put people on the other end as the as the enemy. We actually are missing what's going on. So I say the metaphor needs to change from viewing someone who disagrees with me as an enemy who needs to be crushed. And then you'd be seen in biblical terms, which is in Ephesians 6, our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against spiritual forces, against principalities and powers. In fact, one of the phrases in the Greek is a cosmocrat. And I like to joke, if you think a bureaucrat is bad, you should meet a cosmocrat. Anyway... <laughs> So, um, But the point here is, is, that some, it, is that there are spiritual forces that have people in their grasp. So they don't see the world as they ought to see it. They don't see their design as a human being as it ought to be seen. Mm-hmm. And you're, in the, you're actually in the role of trying to rescue someone who's in danger. Only the trick is they don't even realize they're in danger mm-hmm. because the forces that work on them are incognito. They don't see them. And in many cases, they don't even recognize them and we recognize them to be there. But it makes all the difference in the world if I view someone I disagree with as someone to be defeated and crushed versus someone who needs to be invited and rescued. Mm. And so, um, so I think the culture war has automatically put the church in a, in a strong adversarial position in relationship to the people they're trying to reach. And you get what you pay for. If you push people away, they're not going to be interested. You've got to be able to offer them something of substance as you engage with them. And not only that you have something to offer, but you have to do it in a way that is inviting. Um, you know, it always strikes me as significant that somehow people on the fringe who were marginalized recognize they could approach Jesus. And so we need to be people of the same flavor.
0: Yeah, definitely. And um, in the book, you actually give us a model for how we can see a really good and vivid biblical example of shifting from culture wars to actually how we can engage the culture. And you use two passages for for the model. You use Acts 17 and Romans 1. What do these two passages tell us in terms of engaging the culture? Well,
1: Romans 1 tells us where the culture is, and it's, it's not very good. I, I, I joke <laughs> in the chapter that you read Romans 1, and there's a very technical theological term for the status of the world that Paul lives in. It's the word yuck. <laughs> and then I joke that we need to develop a yuckology, a study of, of, uh, of the yuck. Um, and it's very direct, it's very clear. Um, You read the chapter and you say, Paul's watching our 10 o'clock news. Um, The world that he lives in and he's describing is very much the world that we live in and that we hear described every day. But when you go to Acts 17, where he actually speaks to people out of this culture, he's building bridges while challenging them at the same time. So he opens. He opens having looked at a series of idols. The Acts text tells us he's very provoked. By watching and looking at those idols. He doesn't like idolatry. He knows idolatry is a mess. The attitude that he has in Acts 17 is exactly the attitude that you see described in Romans 1. And yet his opening line is, I see that you are very religious. Mm. Um, And you go, whoa, where'd that come from? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. In fact, I I joke, you know, what are you smoking, Paul? Uh, (laughs) And and so... um, But the point that he's trying to make is, I see you're interested in spiritual things. That's his bridge. Mm. And then his next point, let's talk about spiritual things. And then he moves into a place of engagement with them and challenge. And he's juxtaposing the challenge of what you believe and what your idolatry is doing isn't going to take you anywhere. It isn't useful. It It isn't profitable with an invitation about, here's the way to connect to the spiritual things that will take you somewhere healthy. Hmm. Uh, And so he juxtaposes invitation and connection with challenge and in the process presents the gospel or moves to to, to present the gospel. Um, And and I think that's the way we should. I think it's a model for engagement. He builds a bridge first. Um, He signals a level of respect. I'm mm-hmm. glad you're talking and thinking about spiritual things. That's great. Let's talk about spiritual things in a little more detail. Mm-hmm. And then he goes there.
0: Yeah, so he, he does two things that you've already mentioned um, in, in these opening minutes is that he uh, starts where they are. He, he starts where they are. And then he um, finds commonality. Those are two really great ways to start conversations in a way that's not defensive on either side.
1: Yeah, and the observation that you made is a very good one, and that is he starts where they are. He builds from where they think about the world, and then he tries to build a bridge to Christianity. Whereas oftentimes in our engagement, we are we are almost insistent that a person come to where we are and then understand. Mm-hmm. And there's no bridge built. There's no bridge building in that process. That brings a person along from where they are to where we're trying to take them, and so I call it. Um, we try and make um, supermen out of them. We try and get them to leap t- a tall theological buildings in a single bound. Mm.
0: So we see where we start, where they are. That it's a more open of a conversation. We can we can um, get more done out of it. So what what's the contrast between that and starting at the gospel or? or um differently or starting where we are instead or where we want them to be
1: the, the next thing to say and i didn't say this so much in the book i hinted at it more than than said it is i really think the place to start with the gospels in genesis 1 and rather than genesis 3 yes and what i mean by that is is that the gospel is a restoration exercise that takes us back to the way God made us to be in Genesis one.
0: When you start at Genesis three, you're making um, sin, sinner as their primal identity. Sin is
1: the and, and sin is the focus of the conversation. Yeah. But the gospel's good news because it reconnects us to God. It reconnects us to having been made in the image of God. It reconnects us to the way we were designed to live, which was to be in fellowship with God. Now Genesis three is important because that broke that relationship. But when you start in Genesis 1, you're not only starting where the story begins, you're also starting where the story ends because the picture of revelation are people who are eternally connected to the living God the way they ought to be. Mm-hmm. And so, so when you start there, you're starting in the right place. Everyone's searching to be located in this world. They want to know why they're here, what life's supposed to be about, um, what I'm supposed to be doing, why exist, all those core kinds of questions are at the base of why anyone. And we've got so much noise coming at us from so many different directions in the culture, people feel very dislocated. Mm -hmm. Well, of course they feel dislocated. They've got all these voices pushing them in every which way, in every direction, and there are lots of alternatives and lots of choices out there. Mm -hmm. So I like to start the conversation with a real core, why do you think you're here, you know? Uh, What are you? Are you just an accidental collection of chemistry and biology? Or is there something more to being a human being? Most Mm. people believe in their core. There's something more to being a human being. Once they go there, you're in Genesis 1. And you can go from there.
0: Awesome. Yeah, and I I totally agree on that. And I think, like we said, starting in Genesis 3, you're making the center as their primal identity. But... Genesis one, you see that that's not who you're supposed to be. And we want to go back. We you were created to, to be back. a
1: child of God. Yeah. That's the starting point. Mm-hmm. And we were created in, in at a more corporate level. We were created male and female to collaborate together to manage this world that we live in. Well, which, of course, we're not doing. Yeah. So, um, so you know, I like to tell people God didn't promote the creation from good to very good until he finished creating human beings as male and female to cooperate with one another in the man- and collaborate with one another in the management of the creation, in the stewardship of the creation. Mm-hmm. So that's another element of the Genesis 1 story that you tell. And of course, one of the things that salvation is designed to do is to not only reconcile us to God, it's to reconcile us to each other mm-hmm. so that that collaboration can take place in a healthy way as opposed to in a more destructive way.
0: Thank you so much for joining us today on Defending Christianity podcast. I hope and pray that you were encouraged and strengthened in your faith. And if you're someone who's seeking truth, I hope and pray that you have gotten closer to that. Because Jesus is the truth. Join us next time on the Defending Christianity podcast. God bless.